Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Milo. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. Indeed, good to see you both. And hey, what a week, eh? I mean, I was just... uh... I was just hitting the hay here in Northern California last week, which uh, means I was putting my head down to go to sleep. It was around 1am, 1, 1 I think, and I saw a WhatsApp from Milo with the link to Gary Neville's The Overlap program featuring Delhi. I thought, well, oh, this looks interesting. I'll watch a bit, catch up on the rest of the next day. Uh, not a chance. Uh, instead, uh, like I think we all were, guys, I was taken on the journey and then some. Um, you know, I think we were all there. I mean, it was mm. that was deep. So we'll be discussing that interview and Delhi, who, uh, look, let it not be forgotten is one of this pod's favorite sons, uh, regardless of wherever he plays. Uh, we don't forget and we will never forget. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to that discussion. Um, as both a bridge and juxtapose to that, we'll also discuss the Eric Dyer documentary on Spurs play, which ironically I had watched uh, earlier that evening. So I got the full, I got the full one, two of everything there. Uh, and we're going to look back on Harry Kane's Hot Wings Challenge appearance via First We Feast on YouTube. Uh, but chaps, I think before we get into that, there is a news item that is uh, somewhat universal in football that we need to address. We're going to address it quickly, crisply, um, but my word, it's important. Uh, I think we'd all agree on that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. On Friday, Memphis Depay put a supportive message on Instagram for Benjamin Mendy after Mendy was found not guilty of rape on several counts. The message focuses on the impact on Mendy and a number of Spurs players, including uh, Pierre-Emil Hoybier, Tangy Ndombele, Ryan Sessegnon and Destiny Udoji liked the message. Um, chaps, let's let's cover this really quickly, how we feel. Milo? Um, yeah, I mean, I was really disappointed. I think, um, you know, another thing I'd, I'd shared on our WhatsApp group late at night when I first saw the messages and, and, and who was liking it. And I mean, I think that for me, there's kind of several several things here that cause concern. I mean, I think, um, yeah, firstly, from you know, there's players um, liking that message, um, the kind of signal it sends out to um, to our fans, you know, people who've survived sexual abuse, and and then also I think their kind of their position as role models to you know younger male fans, particularly. You know, I think we live in quite a toxic environment at the moment with um, you know you've got kind of basically misogynistic influencers, you know, people like, uh, you know, Andrew Tate, who've got quite big followings among young people, which is, and you know, spelt really kind of dangerous and disturbing um, messages. And I think, you know, our players, well, you know, I think role models, male role models um, need to do better than try and try to counter that. So I think those are kind of the, the, the two bits that kind of struck me that, you know, it's kind of poor influence. There's, you know, it's a poor message and, and kind of undoes a lot of the good work that the club has done to try and make the club and going to games more inclusive. Yeah, I, I couldn't articulate that as, as well as you've done, Milo, and as well as you will do in a moment, Steph. So the only slight take I've got on this is that social media you know, continues to be a platform where I, I think we generally want to see behind the curtain and know what our you know heroes get up to and you know what they what they think. Um, but in doing so, you know the trade off of that is we have to be prepared that we might not like 
everything that they say or they do with it. Um, I, so many footballers, unfortunately, exist in a bit of a bubble and they will have done from probably a very young age, probably from you know, literally from being children. Um, and that becomes something of an echo chamber that possibly in, in a few occasions, the only people that they can relate to are, are the footballers or the people in and around them who indulge them. And that's certainly not to make an excuse for them. Um, but I think it's just an example that sometimes they live in a completely different world to, to the majority of us. Uh, first of all, again, just the, I think you've both made excellent points. I do want to make sure for anyone listening, we are not commenting on the case itself. We're commenting on the fact that players, uh, you know, tweeted um, their their support of what happened in that case. But I think when it comes to these situations, it is really, really important that the clubs understand that, uh, you know, these players, as you said, Gareth, they have lived in a bubble. They don't know always what they're commenting on. They don't know what they're supporting. They don't know, you know, they don't, they're not educated in these matters when it comes to social media, how social media is used, how it's aggregated, how it makes people feel, all of these things. And I think it's absolutely vital that, you know, there be a greater duty of care in educating players as to how social media works in these particular situations. And also players need to take a greater responsibility in what they're liking and what they're not liking very very important and i was really sad to see those names i think on that point stuff i think the least that the club can do is talk to the players and you kind of explain you know kind of firstly their kind of role as as role models i think how they these this kind of thing can be perceived you know talk to talk to talk to them about how they use social media and 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 to, to think about it yeah, I think uh, I think we're all in agreement that you know, look, education is such an important thing in this, and uh, you have to be aware, as as we've all said, and we're all agreeing of 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 what message can be sent by a sub message of this nature, and that you know, uh, we, I mean, look, social media dictates we all have to be aware of of of, of how to use it, and this strikes me in this, as a situation where it's going to be spiraling out of control, misinterpretation, so on and so forth. I think you should probably cut that. Let's just leave that. You can have the final word, Roger. Mm-hmm. Just leave it there yeah let's let's move on shall we chaps from that uh from that uh, i think disappointing episode i think it's fair to say for all of us i think we're all disappointed to see our, some of our players names involved there but so let's move on from it um let's go to the week that was and as ever in Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, there's been a lot happening. I'm going to tell you about Man- Manor Solomon because Manor Solomon has joined us on a five-year contract uh he did so on Tuesday Last Tuesday, he signed as a free agent. His contract with Shakhtar Donetsk is uh, effectively coming to an end as a result of FIFA's ruling, which is allowing uh, foreign players such as Manor uh, signed with Ukrainian clubs to void their contracts. So we, we, we heard a bit of a kerfuffle about this last week, did we not, from Shakhtar and so on and so forth. But uh, here he is. Um, and there we are. So our preseason tour, we headed off on our preseason Asia Pacific tour on Friday afternoon. We've taken a big squad, I think 31 by my counting, on the tour party, including pretty much everyone who is fit. <laughs> and additionally, Alfie Devine, Josh Keeley and Dane Scarlett from the junior ranks. Hugo Lloris was left behind so that he could find a new club. And then our injured Players Rodrigo Bentancur, Fraser Forster with a back injury, Brian Hill with a back injury, Troy Parrott and Ryan Sessegnon uh, also miss out through injury. Uh, during our tour fixtures, James Madison, Manuel Solomon 
and Destiny Adogi will wear temporary squad numbers. The squad, the club do this every year. They always emphasise the fact that the players, the numbers that the players wear whilst they're on tour may not necessarily be those squad numbers that they wear. Uh, I think to avoid people legging it down to the club shop and getting Madison 73 on the back of their shirt, which I think is the number he's been allocated. They've all been given novelty numbers, haven't they? Uh, but any surprises from the names either in or out of the uh, squad, Milo or Steph? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit surprised. I think the, the the expectation was that a few more players were going to be left behind to try and find other clubs. Um, although I think, in, well, I don't think I know in the press earlier in the week, I think um, Andrew had said that he wanted to take a big, you know, big squad and, and have a look at everyone. So that I wasn't, I didn't know that Brian Hill was injured until this was announced, which is a shame because I think it was a real opportunity for him. Um, Skippy has skipped three weeks leave after the Euros to to join up with the party, which is. Which is encouraging. It's good. I think he's got a real opportunity here with uh, Bentaker injured and you know looking like Hoybier is going to be off. There's a there's a chance for him to stake a claims, which I assume is why he's so keen to to join up. Well, you know he may well have been anyway, but extra incentive there. Yep, no surprises. Uh, looking forward to seeing what Ange makes of that lot. And uh, my word, there's going to be a, there's going to be some movement off the back of this. That's what it tells me is that he really is true to his word. He is going to give everyone an opportunity to show themselves in training regularly on a regular basis. And uh, we are going to get some pretty definitive answers, uh, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Thanks to him, you know, being good to that policy, which is really good. So I was happy about it. I bet the logistics people weren't. <laughs> I can only imagine. Like I was thinking. <laughs> about the logistics behind this <laughs> did, did you know the plane that they flew out there on so it was a, a charter or they, they, a, 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 a you know, private jet it was, uh, used to be the rolling stones tour plane yeah yeah, right. yeah. seven thousand i think it's a 737 right now but uh i did notice it was wrapped with the tottenham hotspur uh logos and so on and so forth so we're back you know we're back to sort of footballers and rock stars again they're almost it's, i was wondering i hope that plane doesn't end up anything like the the guns and roses plane of 92 or the uh, woe betide us the led zeppelin one of the 70s but uh anyway anyway speaking of which um is it it's you you didn't let gareth you haven't let gareth have a chat about the uh the tour yet I wonder, I, yeah, I think I said all I was going to say in my introduction. The only thing that interests me, I, they had all the pictures of the players on the plane and always intrigues me to know whether, how much choice the players get or, or who decides who's going to sit where and with who. And, you know, oh, you, do they have to allocate gossip. who gets the children's meals beforehand or do they just you get what's gossip. on offer? So do you actually look at the pictures and think, oh, that better, that's a budding friendship. I, was, I, I did in preference like, say, like, Kane and Madison were all sat next to each other. One of them was across the aisle from the I other think two. I think Madison's taken Doherty's place isn't he basically that's mm. where we are so do you think it's like the school bus the uh the older kids rush for the back the back seat and the the kids are the youngest kids are all trying to get to the front so they can uh hard kids at the back yeah but <laughs> by the way full disclosure uh gareth i also look at those pictures and start to surmise where the friendships are coming and so mm. when i saw i think it was uh i've forgotten who emerson Royale was hugging now he was hugging someone but i remember thinking oh there's a friendship budding but um yeah. Well, that's yeah, a long no. flight, isn't it? That's not that's not getting the bus two stops up the road to school, is it? That's what nineteen who, hours probably. Given given the choice, who would you want to sit next to on that flight? Me? The seventeen hours with them, Eric Dyer, without a doubt, it would be brilliant. I mean, the man the man is smart, intelligent, conversant. No, I mean, all sorts of. We've things got that later on. Any anyone well, else? <laughs> oh, you. So now I, I can't pick my seat partner. I can no, see no, who no, the tour, you, you I can see that, who the tour manager is on this plane. <laughs> Okay, somebody well, else. I, but basic, no, no, no. You're allowed to sit next to Eric Dyer, but I'm taking off those ten words oh. of love for Eric <laughs> Dyer from what you get when we talk about the Dyer Doc. 
So Sounds like a punishment for my Basically, soup, yeah. So you have to keep it short now that you've already squeezed that in. We can't have too much dialogue oh, in one pod. Oh, this <laughs> is Gareth, getting, you sound like early Honus trying to squeeze a transfer <laughs> out of Tottenham Hotspur there, mate. I don't know. Gareth, who would you like to sit next to? Yeah, probably, probably Skippy, actually, because he lives or he went to school not far from me. Probably have a couple of mutual acquaintances. And um, I know he did A-level history as well, which is a subject close to my heart. So I think I've, I'd have plen- plenty to would discuss you, with him. Would you share? Would you share an AirPod with him and listen to Wham? Uh, I'd be happy with that arrangement. I don't know whether he would. Is he, is he a Wham fan? Is it... Don't know, but you are, aren't you? I'd, I'd, I'd listen to a bit of Wham, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, I think, think you skip the first band. That... Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the first band that you or Milo have mentioned, both pre-pod and non-pod, that I've heard of. So, yeah, I, I, I'll take Wham. If that's what you're offering me. And and again, no, nothing disparaging about it. I love a bit of Wham myself. So anyway. Go on, uh, go on, Milo. <laughs> well, so I think it'd be sunny, but he wasn't on the flight. So, um, in which case, I'll sit next to Ange. Oh. Yes, true. Yeah, have some ashes bants with him. <laughs> I see. Very good. I like. I like this. I like. I like where we, we all went there. Yeah, very good. None of us are brave enough to sit next to the mighty Emerson Royale, who, let's face it, would be a good laugh. Now, you get the impression. Good laugh there. Anyway, let's move on to Dante Casanova, uh, who signed his first professional contract with the club. Dante can play in central midfield or at right back. Uh, last season was interrupted by injuries, but he made three competitive appearances for under-21s in the final weeks of the season. Um, and, yep. I, I know, I mean, you're very keen on him making it, aren't you, Steph? Because you've already got the song worked out. You're singing it <laughs> towards <laughs> the... Dante Casanova. <laughs> Dante Casanova. I mean, look, Tottenham is a club of style, you know, flourish, love, right? We shouldn't have a player called Casanova in our ranks, right? It makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Get him in. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Indeed. Um, Ange Presser. Ange Postacoglu gave his first press conference as Spurs boss early last week. He took questions for close to an hour, showed he was adept at handling difficult ones, and appeared to get the assembled journos on side with uh, that, that really deft combination he seems to have of, you know, being dryly humorous, but like no nonsense and very open. Um, you know, simple question, chaps. Uh, what did you think and did he impress you? Yeah, he continues to come across as a really affable character, um, strikes a chord of someone who wants to be here. And I really appreciate the fact that he's got a lot of life experience as well that he, he brings to the role. The other thing I heard someone else point out as well is he's the first full-time manager we've had since Harry Redknapp, who speaks English as a first language. So I think in terms of press conferences... Um, not that you'll find it easier. So Tim Sherwood doh- doesn't speak English as a first language. Well, yeah, you can read the subtext of that. It's tempting to answer that with, uh, with, with <laughs> some very, very definitive answers, and which might actually validate Gareth somewhat if we did. Uh, but anyway. Well, let, me, let me just leave, leave it there. I've sown, sown the seed in, you, in, in your mind there about the... Um, <laughs> About the positive aspects of having a, yes. a, a manager who can't hide behind language barriers or you can't speculate while he's saying he's answering a question that isn't in his native tongue here. And I it just came across that he, he handled the situation very well. And I think the journalists will probably have a lot of fun mm. being in conferences and interviewing him this year. We'll, we'll probably get more out of him than they have of some of his predecessors. As a complete aside, I'm going to answer a different question here briefly, Steph, and then come back to this one. But that point about. Um, Foreign language. When I was when he was appointed, I was listening to lots of kind of podcasts and watching documentaries and other stuff and reading everything I could about him. 
And on one of those, he was talking about his time in Japan and how he's having to use translators. And sometimes they were having a couple of translators. So he would have someone translating from English into Japanese. And then for players with other languages, they would translate from Japanese into into their languages. So when he was doing team talks and all that kind of stuff, it would take quite a long time. And he was saying that then it made him have to be very, very succinct in his messages. In all, otherwise, uh-huh. it would take too long. And also it meant that he started using video more in order to illustrate points. So I thought that was really interesting. And he, he thinks he's made him a better communicator because he's had to be to the point and uh, clearer because of yeah, having a, a chain of um, a chain of uh, translators. It's a, it actually requires a level. What you've just described to me requires a level of of uh, you know self self um, self awareness and and, mm. and intelligence to to come to that conclusion because many uh, would would never do that. They mm. would just be like, well, I I am me and I'm going to do it. So yeah, that that's a very interesting thing. But yeah. I think yeah, and he said it's something he's taken on when he's coaching in English that he needs yeah needs to be succinct um, in terms of his presser I mean I, I would like to hear a bit more about suffering there wasn't really enough about that and uh, and pain um, <laughs> no it's great it, it's um, it was so refreshing I, I mean actually I mean that's just true generally isn't it it just feels really refreshing having him around um, he's you know, the, the, as you said the, you know, the humour the openness he doesn't really duck questions but he's not um, I'm trying to think say it's you know not like Redknapp where he he's not an open book necessarily. I think he's quite smart in what he's saying. Um, but yeah, he's, he's handling he's, his handling is is really good, and it's just impossible not to like him. Um, there's while we're talking about um, kind of Ange yesterday in Australia, uh, they've got a magazine program called Sixty Minutes, and there was a fifteen minute section of that program last night on Ange and and um, him at, being at Spurs, and then also the tour of us you know to, to Australia and. Um, and Asia, and he say it's really good. It's on YouTube. It's well worth checking out. It's, he, again, he comes across really well. Um, and it, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting um, interview and another another bit of Ange content to 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 absorb. Yeah, there were there were two things in particular. I mean, so many things that we could spotlight in that, but there were two things that stood out to me that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed one sentence he delivered. I just thought, wow, this is the mark of the guy. He said, "I want fans to react to what they see, not what I say." Such a simple line, but just so dynamic and so on point. And and it tells you so much about how he views the job he's doing. It's not about him. It's about what he does. It's a subtle difference, but it's very different to our last, shall we say, two of our last managers. And I really like the fact that he talked about this winning, you know, how many years and years, you know, the the fan base, winning mentality, winning culture, winning mentality. And he said it perfectly. He said, every player wants to win. He said, you all want to win. He said, but winning takes more than just wanting to win. It is something that has to build from everywhere in the club. And he, I took that as a direct statement to everyone from the, from the chairman all the way through that you also have to have a proper winning mentality if this is going to work. And I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant and I thought it was declarative and, uh, and, and good for good for him. I've got another point to spin off that actually from my research from the Ange appointment. So um, when he joined Celtic um, at the beginning, he didn't spend a lot of time on the training ground. He spent time with the, with the doctors and um, you know, with the scouts, with the chairman, with everywhere. He got himself into every single part of the club and spent time with them because he wanted everyone 
to un- to know him and understand him, but also to kind of build that relationship and also understand what he wanted so that, you know, it, that, that everyone was pulling in the same direction. Everyone got it. And I think, you know, when we, I think, you know, people's perception of him, you know, in the relationship with the players, I think we kind of understand now that he doesn't talk to the players a huge amount and he yeah. leaves a lot of that to the coaches. But I think, you know, part of that is also because he wants to have that kind of yeah. wider presence and that's what he sees as part of his role um so yeah he's an interesting character yeah just fi- final little thing if i may add this because my, my my good friend johnny when i talking about this and he made an excellent point <clears throat> which i think is well worth sharing he was just pointing out that andrew's journey uh to where he's arrived is very very different to the vast majority of managers who are currently um you know applying their trade in the premiership or indeed in football so you know the different uh, approach he's taken uh, has doubtless seeded a lot of the uh, the things that we're talking about uh, particularly mm. what you were talking about just there Milo about like you know that very very deep dive holistic look throughout and and his approach to the job I just thought it was a really interesting point so ah, we're, ju- we're just all it's good we're all excited about him I, I love it and with, and with good cause Ryan Sessegnon has had surgery on his left hamstring after sustaining an injury in pre-season um, and and uh, I, I noted something uh, at the Knott's Forest League Cup game back in November. It seemed to me that he didn't allow Sess to leave the pitch mm-hmm. with a hamstring injury due to us having used all our subs. But I mean, I, I can tell you it was clear to Ram and I he was hurt and he was really hobbling around and Conti was very clearly not going to let him come off the pitch. Um, it, it sparked this question and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Um, have the club failed? in an overall duty of care towards him, not just in that specific instance, but in the way they've treated his various injuries. Because I believe this is a different one, but... I I think this is a recurrence of the one that he had earlier in the season, but his hamstring injuries have been on both legs. So it's not the same one that's going on over and over again. And if you recall last summer, he did a lot of um, weight work in order to try and strengthen his, his legs so he wouldn't have... Uh, so it would reduce the risk of uh, of him having hamstring injuries. I, my understanding is is that the surgery he's had should cure the situation, and it's not. You know, it should there shouldn't be an issue with recurrence. Um, in terms of kind of have the club failed him, I think it's difficult to know, isn't it? Because we don't know the details of the medical treatment or anything like that. I think um, you know the point you make about Conte um, is a good one, and um, you know both Conte and Mourinho are managers who, uh, on occasions, appeared to treat the medical department with disdain. Um, would demand players uh, were available even if they they were fit, or would argue with the medical team, you know, if they weren't available when they wanted them. Um, so it's it's quite easy to to imagine that, and I, I remember that game. And um and that situation, from memory, he brought someone. He used his last sub, I, th- I think. I say, if I've got this wrong, and Gareth will remember, you, you're encyclopedic on this kind of thing. My my rather hazy uh, memory of it is that he brought another sub on, uh, meaning that Cessignon couldn't come off and forced him to play on. Um, so yeah, yeah. Have the club failed him? I, yeah, I, th- I think it's difficult to say that. I mean, I, I, th- I think unfortunately he's had just a series of muscular injuries in his, so both hamstrings. I, I, you know, I really hope for his sake because he he seems like a he seems like a good lad. Um, that at some point in his career he has a really unbroken period of, of of games where he can get you know a whole season, two whole seasons under his belt, and he gets the confidence. I think one of the issues he 
had last year was he just lost confidence in his body. We, you could see that he was never yeah, able to go, you know, go 100%. And sadly, we've never really seen the player that he he promised to be through um, through largely through injuries, which I'm sure are absolutely no fault of his own and probably no fault of um, uh, you know of anyone at the club and certainly within our medical team as well. Sadly, it's just one of those things that happens. He's, he's not the first and he won't be the last player that just gets plagued with these these sorts of injuries. It's a prime example right now of something we will be touching on later, in my opinion. We need to look after this guy. And I mean off the pitch, psychologically, as well as anything. He posted something on his social media that expressed uh, what seemed to me another level of, 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 of disappointment to that which he's expressed over prior injuries. And I think we need to keep a very close eye on this young man and really give him every support possible. And I truly hope he finds it and I hope he finds his health. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sh- you know, real shame this time because I think most of us expected him to leave this summer. And um, I think, you know, once he's recovered from injuries, he really needs to be playing regularly and it's hard to see him doing that for us. Um, so, it's, you know, you know he's only young. We kind of forget because he's been at the club for a while. Is he 22, 23? You know, he's, he's got a long way to go yet. And, um, you know, if we were signing him now, we'd still consider him to be a young player, wouldn't we? Um, so, yeah, I think it, from that point of view, it's pretty cruel timing. I don't know what the recovery time is for the for the surgery that hasn't been indicated you know maybe there's a chance that he could leave on loan towards the end of the the window if you know if and you know there's a deal that we pick up the wages until he's fit to play or something like that and that way he might you know and there's an option at the end of it that might be a way to try and help him because i you know i don't know maybe he could go back to fulham or maybe fulham would be interested in a deal like that so you know i think he yeah. needs something where he can uh you know i thought maybe the you know the forest interest i think would have been a good one because um Cooper was um, managed him within the England youth setup, so he, they've worked together before. He knows him, and I thought, yeah, when the links were the, with hit with them a few weeks ago, I think that would have been a, a, a good move. So, yeah, I really feel for him, and I, I, yeah, do, I think that's, and an, we, that's and an excellent point, stuff about about his mental health because it must be so difficult for him. Awful, and that's I mean, in order to fulfil all of those things we're talking about, I think it's so important that we watch that very carefully right now because even the strongest person would be pretty broken by the the, the the continued injuries he's got especially with Ange just coming in and the buzz and everyone getting a clean slate and like you know this massive squad going I mean the lodge is going to be sorry the lodge <laughs> uh, the training ground is going to be uh, yeah, emptier than ever so let's hope he's got good support there I'm sure he has so he's only just turned 23 by the way turned 23 oh, in May young man young man again I thought you were going to go. I sound my, like a I withering go, old man. I, th- I thought you were going to young start man, singing then. the YMCA then. <laughs> <laughs> young man, da, 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 got some friends at the lodge. Young man, da, da, da. anyway, you gave him the platform, Milo. Hitting the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to. Well, the, the first line is young man there's no need to feel down which would actually spit, sit, sit with the rest of what you were saying so there we go yeah. um, young man there's no need to feel down I said young man is that good nah mm. it's just hitting the floor anyway it, it, come on bail us out if you will Who's? let's move on uh, I'm in the mood for singing so you want to get right. me quickly and move so it some on more <laughs> some more pre-season news um, which we talked about last week on the pod that Roma have pulled out of our friendly against us in Singapore on the 26th of July and have been replaced by local side Lion City Sailors I mean, the mighty fantastic name. what a fantastic name um, and uh, you know fits in with another village people song in the Navy there we go um <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I'll save I'm gonna, you. I, I'll save I, you. Don't don't tempt me. That's tempting me. You see, you're <laughs> I'll save you. I, I was I was about to try and tie in a 
Go West, um, which the Petrol Boys cover, which is a Finnish people song with saying we're going east. Um, but, and, and obviously it was also a, a, a terrace chant, but, um, um, so yeah, so we've got, we're playing local side Lion City Sailors. What's the matter, Jose? Are you scared of it, of Angeball? It's also been announced that we're going to play Barcelona on August the 9th in the, uh, Joan Gamper Trophy. This is Barcelona's showpiece preseason game named in the honour of their founding member, player and later president. I know there's no... Uh, I know we're meant to be moving swiftly on, but I'm actually appalled at myself that I, I did not jump in off the back of what's the matter, Jose? Are you scared of Angeball? I'm just appalled with myself. So let me get that response in. There's Everything's the matter with Jose, and he probably knows he can't bully our Ange, right? Definitely couldn't. If he could. I'm just I... int- What was the... Um... What was the rush? Sorry, I'm making, making this decision. Go on, no, go on. What was the reason behind it? From what I could gather, Roma were due to play another game in in Asia that got cancelled, and they've effectively thought, "We'll sod that. Why are we going out there just to play one game?" Was that the I think reason it, behind I think it's that? It's money. It's money, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it I just comes down to money. It's not worth the trip. No. Okay. And then sorry, just talking about scared. making unnecessary trips. I just want to make it clear: the uh, the the Joan Gamper trophy is taking place. I read this. It's not at the Camp Nou, so please don't head to the Camp Nou for this game because <laughs> Barcelona a are playing. Rubble, isn't it? it is, yeah. It's at the Barcelona will be playing all their games at the Olympic Stadium in Barcelona this season, including this fixture. Um, I've just noticed they've won their last ten Joan Gamper Trophy finals. They've never lost not- it. They've never lost it. It's, it's- have they? Have they ever played this final outside uh, the Camp Nou? I wouldn't have thought so. No, they. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> They're going <laughs> to lose this one. <laughs> It looks like it's one of those, like the um, it's like the Emirates Cup, isn't it? So I, whenever I the Emirates Cup, which Arsenal's pre-season one day, it seemed to be whatever the results of the games were were completely irrelevant. They would find a way of making sure that Arsenal win it at the end of it. <laughs> so you know whether it's the team that won the most corners between the thirtieth and the fortieth minute of the win. Who's got the reddest shirt? Cynical. Yeah, that's it. How cynical of you! My <laughs> word, such cynicism in modern football. It, it's just so sad. Come on, serve us up another hot one, Steph. Oh my word, Harry Kane was on. First We Feast, uh, the YouTube program, uh, Hot Wings Challenge interview channel, Hot Ones this week. Uh, <laughs> all right, we all saw it. Uh, how do you think he did? I'm always envious of, of, of anyone like that. I mean, my palate's never extended beyond the herb and lemon flavour at Nando's, to be fair. So, um, yeah. I, I chuckle. I'm right there with you. It sounds... <laughs> It sounds like you're not dissimilar to Harry Kane. I, I, for a man who doesn't like spice, I thought he did quite well. And um, I was I mean, maybe you're in a better position to judge on this, Steph. I mean, how do you think he do- comes across to American audiences with this kind of stuff? Because, I mean, obviously that's going to be the major. Um, yeah. I, I, it's interesting. He's certainly a lot better than he used to be in terms of, uh, you know, per, uh, just a presence, um, a lot more comfortable. Um, I, I juxtapose him with a lot of uh, NFL players at this point, because obviously that's the market he's going for. And I think if you gave him another year of these sorts of appearances, yeah, he'd be, he'd be getting there. Um, yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was uh, quite quite good i thought it's quite good value especially when he got to the bomb uh which is something which quite frankly i was scratching my head i don't i don't understand the whole hot sauce thing the hottest thing it's like the you know it's like when going into the the louts that used to go into the indian the restaurants five minutes before say give me the hottest curry you've got and you know they'd get a vial right and it was like uh okay why are you doing that i don't understand so despite not understanding it i thought harry did very very well and uh yeah, he was quite quite good value. Yeah, I think he, I think he can definitely make it happen as as an athlete 
you know, appearing. He's never going to be a renter celeb in that sense. It's always going to be in context of the sport he's a part of or the club he's representing, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I mean, he's not blessed with sparkling charisma, is he? He's not no. you know, a, you know, a really big kind of personality. But what he is, is he comes across as just very nice and very genuine. Mm. And, you know, I think... Yeah, I think I think that you know, and that comes yeah. across well. Like, it, I mean, it, dare I say it to your question? I mean, he's increasingly like uh, Tom Brady mm-hmm. on camera. It's very similar, which of course will be uh, you know no surprise to anyone who knows even the remotest thing about Harry Kane's affection for Tom Brady and admiration for him. Um, and that looks like the role that he's gonna that he'll be taking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got to ask. I mean, look, we're we're here. We, <laughs> how would how would each of you do in a hot wings challenge? Hmm. <laughs> so unless it's a herb and lemon Nando's sauce, then yeah, I'm I'm going to be out very quickly. You, you don't think you could do the the bomb? Uh-uh. <laughs> um, yeah, I reckon I'd be all right. I said I I'm not really into kind of competitive eating or stuff like that. At least not anymore. I think when I was younger and dumber, then I, I would have been right in for that. But um, yeah, I'd be fine. I've got I, I I quite like hot food, and um, and I've had my share of stupidly hot. Um, chili sauces before so um yeah i think i'll be all right i'd go for it um i think i'd get two-thirds of the way through and i'd let everyone know in explicit detail how much i was suffering that's kind of although although you say say that actually i used to work with a guy who used to who used to do these hot wings challenges and um there's um a barbecue place in in um in london called uh the rib man he's got a sauce called holy fuck and i i i I don't have any more but i had a bottle of holy fuck and I was talking to my friend, no, sorry, my colleague who was doing these, and he said that on the one he did, I think, holy fuck, which is a, is really hot, I think was the third one on the challenge he'd done. And there was, you know, kind of another seven after that. And um, yeah, but now I reckon I'd be all right. Yeah. And, uh, but I, it's, but it's be... not something I'd be rushing to do. It's not really. <laughs> Certainly not. But uh, I, I will say just to anyone looking at this and thinking, oh, you know, 28 minutes of watching Harry Kane eating hot wings and, and like trying to get through it is not my idea of fun. I must say, I thought the reporter or the host of the show did a really good job in the seg with his segue questions. As one of the more interesting, I don't know anything about Harry Kane, but I've got to ask some questions, uh, segue interviews I, I've heard. It was really quite engaging. I, I, I would encourage you to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's, it's, it's light, it's fun, but there's also a few a few good questions asked there. I don't know if you all agree. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't learn a huge amount about um, about Harry from it that I didn't before, but it's like you said. I think where it works, and I've watched several episodes of this program before. Um, you know, I like it. It's not something I watch religiously, but you know, it's it's you know, kind of half an hour before I go to bed. If I'm flicking around trying to find something on YouTube, then it's something that I might chuck on if they've got a guest that I like. And I think because you're putting people in a situation where they're not entirely comfortable, I think it kind of opens it up a bit, and you get a slightly different interview from someone you would if. if if he was being interviewed by, you know, a normal sports journal. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> oh dear. Yeah. I, I just don't even know how to read this. I'm trying to convey my, my disdain for it. Uh, hopefully you can all pick that up in further Kane news, or it could be completely unrelated. Who knows? David Ornstein shared the news on Thursday that Daniel Levy had had breakfast with Bayern Munich CEO, Jan Christian Driesen. Meanwhile, Bill had reported the same evening that we had told Bayern that we would not listen to offers less than a hundred million euros 
which is a little different to what I have heard. I thought it was 100 million quid, but there we go. Everyone's got an opinion at this point. And at the end of the week, that charmer of all charmers in football, Uli Honus, said nice things about Charlie Kane and some stuff about Harry that we didn't really pay much attention to, as well as basically suggesting to Daniel that he might as well just pack up shop. It's done. Have we got anything new to say on this or do you want to leave it there for this week? No, we think we said it all. No, I'm bored of it. Um, Spurs play have released a documentary on all-round good man and Steph favourite Eric Dyer this week. So, first of all, let's go straight into it. I would say, have you watched it? I know you've watched it. So what did you think, <laughs> Steph? I didn't learn a huge amount about Eric Dyer that I don't already know. It's probably unfair of me to say that, seeing as I make it my business to learn as, uh, to have learned as much about the man as possible. Uh, what I did learn and pick up from it, which was fascinating, was just how much dedication he put into his career in early doors like all that like the you know solo traveling as a kid in a foreign country uh that was really eye-opening how hard he's worked Mm -hmm. and you know look my my biggest uh, my biggest takeaway is what i've always said about him he's an incredibly intelligent man he seems very compassionate he seems like a real leader and i think he brings a lot more to this football club uh in general than uh you know than the things he doesn't do as sir alex ferguson says you have a man for what he does do not what he doesn't and i think eric dyer is someone who brings an awful lot to the table. I hope this shines a better light on him for people who are just lumping on him and thinking that he's a waster and a layabout because he most certainly is not. And I think he's a very important member of this football club. I, I really enjoyed it and good for him and good for the club for doing it right now. It's a really good time to do it, I thought. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, firstly, I wanted to congratulate Steph on his new job as commissioning editor at um, Spurs Play. Um, Thank you very much. I'm, <laughs> I'm delighted Delighted that I'm, my first commission was so royally Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to your kind of ball-by-ball ball analysis of uh, Matt Doherty's time at Tottenham Hotspur and, you know, down, uh, down his other... haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. It'll, yes. Be, it'll be called the 12 balls before Christmas. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Spurs barnets and what have you. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I... I th- yeah, I thought it was it was good. I'd say the same as you. I didn't learn a huge amount. I so one thing that did occur to me watching it, though, you, you mentioned about uh, was it Valencia that his parents moved to after he had been in uh, in Portugal yeah. and him having to jet back. And um, you know, we're going to go on and talk about Delhi later on. But one thing that occurred to me when I was watching it is actually, although their circumstances are very different, there's kind of some similarities in terms oh, of their 100%. upbringing and how that might have been, uh, you know, part of their kind of early friendship there because yeah. you, you saw a lot of the people who were around Delhi, oh, sorry, Delhi, uh, around Dyer when he was at sporting and when he was traveling back and his family were living in Spain. And you, you've effectively got, you know, kind of an adopted family there. And he's in that, almost in that kind of environment. And mm-hmm. it's something that I hadn't considered before. I knew, I knew, I knew that, but until I'd actually, you know, I knew about his circumstances, but until I saw it there and I suppose, you know, having watched it the night after I'd watched the, the Delhi interview it really really occurred to me and yeah yeah so I, again really reinforced i think what we probably already know about him a bit like you're saying that about Ange earlier he's got a very interesting life compared to that of the average mm-hmm. footballer yeah. he's had experiences that that others haven't i'm full of admiration for for anyone who's prepared to you know move abroad particularly away from their their family to a new country and embrace a new culture much as you did steph of course um, so you'll be no alien to that concept um i think some of his leadership skills and i think some of the players that he learned from i was really interested in that period where they spoke about his his brief was well, about 18 months wasn't it that loan spell at everton and mm. how he just absorbed um mm. information and knowledge from someone like i think david weir wasn't it was mm. the, that's right 
who, yeah. who was actually interviewed himself, who was, of course, a, a very senior centre-half in the team at that point, and, and him as an 18-year-old, which obviously really looked up to him. You, you bring up an excellent sub-point, which is that the players that were featured in the interview are really, really interesting to me. I mean, Jan Vertonghen has a, a pretty major role. I mean, Jan Vertonghen is almost uh, the, the, the sort of the, the sub-presenter of the, of the whole thing. Uh, Christian Eriksen's there, Harry Kane. I mean, two things as well that, that came from that. Number one, obviously, that was a special dressing room. And again, we'll touch on that with the Delhi interview later. Uh, but that was a special dressing room. And number two, you know, when you hear people like Jan Vertonghen and Christian Eriksen telling you how important and how good a footballer he is, you know, even you in your, you know, in your socks, sitting in your fucking sweatpants, slagging someone off on the internet, need to wake up and pay attention. Sorry, I tried not to go there, but I yeah. did. Let's keep um, it light, Steph. Keep it light. It's a nice documentary. and It is a um, nice documentary. Yeah, I, and I, I have to say that, that, that whole... Um, place that he had that he set up with the, his the organic garden well his sub gaff the place that he goes to escape where he basically said you know I, I i turn the phone off and i sit here and, and they had that what that long shot of him sitting at a table outside and eating his own organic food with some friends i was just like wow there's a table i'd love an invitation to yeah i say i back to football briefly i think um the other thing to Sporting's is one of the best academies in the world. Um, you know the the players they bring through there, and and how many of their first team have come through their academy is is remarkable. While still maintaining that kind of level of success, I was listening to a podcast recently with the, the with the director of their academy, um, which was fascinating. Where he's talking about their approach to to finding young players and and how they bring them through and and their approach. Um, and so yeah, I think you know I, I think he'd be a very very different player if and a very different person if he. Never left. Never, you know. Was it Horsham? Was it who's from? It was Horsham. Yeah, if he'd never left Horsham and he'd, he'd, you know, I don't know, come through the academy at Crystal Palace rather than Sporting Lisbon, he'd be a very different, different player. Oh yeah, yeah. that journey. That journey is an incredible journey for sure. And uh, yeah, you should watch it, everyone. Please add that to your weekly viewing. It's well worth it. It really is. Now we move on to transfer rumours. First up, Conor Gallagher, who the Telegraph's Mike McGrath uh, reports that we're eyeing as a possible replacement for Pierre-Emile Hoybier. Uh, Davinson Sanchez, Galatasaray have made a €9 million Euro bid. Two or three other clubs are meant to be interested in signing him, one of which might be Spartak Moscow, who are rumoured to have made a €15 million Euro bid. Uh, Giovanni de Celso, Fabrizio Romano, says that we've been approached by Real Betis for Gio. Again, there's interest from a few other clubs. And uh, now uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Deli Alley interview that he gave earlier this week. Um, and look, uh, we know that some of you are going to find elements of this discussion upsetting. So it is important to, to, to flag that uh, before we, we go on. Uh, so by now, you will all have seen or heard about that. You know, it was a heartbreaking interview that Delhi gave to Gary Neville earlier in the week. Um, in the interview, um, Delhi reveals that he has recently come out of uh, a rehab facility where he was getting help with an addiction to sleeping pills and I would doubtless say counselling for a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, especially, look, he was talking about his childhood, how he was abused at the age of six by a friend, uh, inverted commas, of his mum's, um, how he was dealing drugs at eight. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. There are other things which you will hear for yourself. Um, but, you know, his relationship with his birth and adoptive parents is discussed. It is a wide ranging and deeply moving interview. And I, I don't mind telling you, I was at once sad and angry for what has been done to him, angry towards everyone who wrote him off and cliched him uh, and so proud of him for taking charge of his own narrative, both as a human being and public figure, especially with the bastard squad um, breathing down his neck. 
uh, chaps, I know you will have plenty of things to say too. Um, what did you make of the interview? It was a difficult watch, wasn't it? It was, um, it was tough to watch. And just from the premise of it, I really hated the idea that, that he did it or his, his advisors got him to do it because they wanted to get him first before the tabloids and the media got in on it and, and spun it a different direction. I mean, it's insane that I think Gary Neville was excellent and, uh, you know, I'm brilliant. Really pleased he was able to conduct that interview because, um, I mean, he's clearly someone who's worked with, with Delhi and had a lot of affection for him. And you could see that in the interview that there was a real um, yes. I think mutual appreciation between between the pair of them. Um, but yeah, it was it, it, it was it was a really tough watch, really, just to echo the things that you've said to start with. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at you know, having to, I mean, in the interview, I think he says he's, he got out of, out of rehab three weeks ago, um, and being forced to do that interview early because the press were about to run a story um and also him talking there about how the press were contacting his representatives while he was in rehab is is disgusting and in in light for kind of overseas listeners or say non-uk based listeners um in the uk the previous weekend there'd been a story with a, a news presenter here who was effectively outed by the press and um they were running scurrilous stories about him and he hadn't done anything illegal or anything like that it's just parts of his private life were you know, weren't widely known and they doubted him on that and he's ended up in it, 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 this this presenter had long-ranging long-term mental health issues and he's ended up in hospital as a result of the treatment he got in the press so yeah so soon for those stories together again there was a kind of a connection i saw there in terms of the press's behavior and i think you know it's disgraceful that someone who's trying to seek help for kind of long-standing problems you know troubles troubles that go back you know to over 20 years for for delhi um and trying to you know get help with those to be hounded by the press at that time it seems i mean firstly there's no public interest in that there's no interest for anyone reading that and people ought to be given the space to try and get help and get better um without you know additional pressure which you know particularly with these type of uh problems um you know, can only make a really, really difficult situation a lot worse, a lot harder. And, and just briefly on that, I think, you know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, you know, um, haven't been through, you know, I haven't been in rehab or anything like that, but my understanding or my friend, you know, my understanding is, and, you know, friends I know who have been, it's taken a long time with them for them to process that afterwards. So it's not kind of walk out of, you know, wherever they've been getting help and everything, you know, and, and everything's fine again. It takes a long time to process what you know what they've had to had to had to think about and and so I, I think i think he's been forced into doing this a lot earlier than than he otherwise would have wanted to i, I think and and that could also have an impact on his on his recovery and that's really sad he he will have undoubtedly gone on a hard track um program and it will have been very intense and it will have really broken him down in ways that you know will have been incredibly painful um more painful for him than maybe even you know living through it at the pace he was suddenly it's all put in a concentrated uh segment and you live with it um i think it's, it's actually an incredibly brave decision to do the interview in light of what we have learned was happening and i think everyone who was involved in that decision from what I can see in my perspective and I, I, you know, these situations seeing them, I think they deserve a lot of credit for handling it as well as they did because it, it's effectively killed any of that bullshit subtext that these red tops like to, and, and or media like to put into these things that, that there's nothing there for them. Now they can go fuck off and try and ruin somebody else's life. I wish they wouldn't. So he's, he's taken a hold of the narrative really well. I do agree with you. Um, I, it would doubtless have been very hard for him to do that, but it, feels that 
the the right person did the interview. You're absolutely right, Gareth. I thought Gary Neville was. I actually thought he was sensational, and uh, I thought he was. He showed such a great balance between um, getting you know salient information out on Delhi's behalf, but also showing compassion. And I, I think for Delhi, there's got to be a relief now in knowing. Okay, it's out there. Everyone knows. I am now just going to go and carry on healing. Uh, so very well handled for everyone. But yeah, you're so right. It, it's it's such a pressure, and I don't know what we can do about the media. Um, but hopefully, maybe this will maybe this will make them think twice. It's like, hey, you want to try and fuck with someone? We can um, take the they, narrative from you. No, I mean, we can kill, take the narrative. They've killed people as a result of this kind of treatment. I, I don't, know. You know, I, they, I know. They, haven't, being, they haven't they haven't reformed I'm, themselves as a result of that. Okay. So I don't I don't I think, think I don't think that's going to make any difference. And I think you know until the until the law is changed in this country to stop this kind of thing, it's not going to ha- you know they're going to carry on the, doing it. Well, they'll carry on doing it, laws or whatever, the, as we've patently seen with the amount of lawsuits that are bought when they do break the laws that are in place. I mean, it's obviously it's a massive problem. And also, I think the public have a duty to not want to consume this bullshit. I mean, yeah, you know, that's a that's a, a huge huge responsibility lies with lies with us you know, wanting to consume it. And to that end, I was really disappointed to see that the headlines, a lot of the headlines that uh, extrapolated were extrapolated from the interview the next day, they featured assault and, and like, you know, a molestation. And so, I mean, th- look, th- how much more was there in that interview? Yeah, and we'll I mean, talk about sleeping pills in a minute. There was so much more in that interview. I mean, what about the bravery? What about I the mean, mental side? I, I mean, I goodness think, gracious. I think you could tell, we could get a very good idea of which newspapers have been harassing him by which ones ran their copy very quickly afterwards. And, you know, I think that there were stories that were ready written that they had ready to run. And then they meant they meant they put a wrapper of this interview around it in order to do that. And, um, I mean, I'd hope, you know, I'd hope that people try to avoid those papers anyway, because, you know, we all, no, know who, we all know who they are. They're all shit and, and you're not going to learn anything from reading them. So don't buy them. Don't go to their websites. Don't, don't click on them. Um, I'll call out. I'll call out one though, Milo. I was really disappointed in the Guardian's headline after that interview. I thought, and they've subsequently run a couple of very good pieces, like op-ed pieces, but their initial headline was appalling. And I looked to the Guardian as 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 a guardian of decent news. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not one of the ones that I'm talking about that have been harassing. No, him I while know. He's been in rehab, but no, I, I think, know. You know and for, that, yeah. To that point, they all have the response. Anyway, we, I think we are in. I think we're in total agreement there, um, and uh, with the general premise. Um, you know, so much in this interview to talk about but let's talk about the you know he talked about his his sleeping pill addiction which which sadly i think has been uh you know rumored for some time but uh probably the you know another big takeaway was that it's rumored to be a wide-ranging problem in football i mean he actually spoke about the fact that uh you know it's often used to try and bridge things such as jet lag or so on and so forth uh you know um just to, to try and get you to rest so what do yeah, we, I mean, what do we the, yeah i mean it's not so much jet lag is it it's, it's adrenaline prior before a game so yes sorry um, my bad. so, so yeah. it, it's players so they can get a full night's sleep before the, before they play a fixture and then for him that's how he started taking them and then then it spiraled out from there um yeah i mean i'd certainly heard the rumors about um right about him and sleeping pills i'd heard i think you know a lot of the stuff um you know apart from apart from the abuse um i think most of the rest of it i'd heard in rumors in some form or other um but and i suppose you know when he talks about um well, when he talks about him kind of repeating the, you know, the the environment that he grew up in with his mother, where his, his house was a kind of party house for a while. Mm. Um, I suppose if you're in that kind of environment and you've got hangers on, you know, funny before we came on pod, we were talking about hangers on for, you know, for, um, for footballers, weren't we? Um, you know, hangers on around him. Yeah, those people. It's no, it's no wonder rumors were getting out because if they, if you've got 
you know, 40 people around your flat every every night of the week and they're, you know, drinking your booze and, you know, what have you, whatever else is going on. And then, you know, you've got different people there every night. Then, of course, rumours are going to get out because everyone, you know, half half your yeah. neighbour is going to know what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Gareth, I mean, yeah, you can see you're probably going to have to dive in uh, with an opinion because there's plenty to say if you want to mm. say anything. I mean, I, I, go on, you should dive in now. Yeah, I mean, several players, I think, including Gary Neville, have said sleeping pills aren't uncommon in football and they, they come with their you know, medicinal advantages to say players coming back late from games. Um, I think this, hopefully someone at FIFA is, is watching this and they understand that, that, that there is a link here. Um, players need to get to sleep immediately after because they've got to train the next day because they've probably got to play another game in three days and that's going to be repeated another 15 times before they go and play another pointless international weekend that takes up their whole summer. So Right, exactly. To your point, if these people actually give a flying fuck, maybe they can take a look at the welfare of the footballers that have to play these ridiculous fucking schedules that keep on getting thrown at them left and right and they can actually show a genuine duty of care to the sport mm, and the professionals well. who play it. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things, you know, in in the interview that really uh, got me, um, and there are a couple of things I'll get into, but the first one is that, you know, at the age of six, we hear uh, about him being, you know, uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, And at the age of seven, he is sent to another continent, to another country, to live with his father because he supposedly needs discipline because he is uh, supposedly a problem child. Now, I mean, you know, think about that everyone at such an early age it's your fault Mm. your fault that's your fault so flash forward to managers uh then sort of you know kind of picking you out as the lazy one and 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 picking you out your your natural default is going to be well I, i must be to blame i don't know how to deal with this um and i think when he talked about shutting off yeah hey let me stop there let me let me if you've got any reactions to that first point let that yeah yeah, I mean, I have on the second point. I mean, I think it's worth, it's worth saying that in the interview, um, Daddy says several times that he's not blaming managers or other people. But I think that's yeah, part of the therapy. Pro- I think that's part of the therapy process. You, I would you've say. You've actually, and I cut my, I cut myself off to hopefully respond to the first bit. Yeah, carry on because that is the point I was going to get into. Yeah. It is part of the process, and we'll talk about so, that in a minute. Yeah. So I think you know when he says that, yeah, that's part of the therapy process. He's trying to take ownership of his uh, of his issues in order for him to process them, um, but. I'm assuming the point you're going to come on to was, yeah, so the Mourinho interview that was sort of, you know, part of um, the Amazon All or Nothing doc. It's and, part of it, but we're and, kind of, we're flirting in the edges with it. But well, I mean, I've got, I've got a yeah. point on that. And it, yes. it kind of, it almost yeah. ties in with what you're saying on, about yeah. Cess earlier on and that duty of care. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a piece of uh, film that never should have been broadcast. Um, I, and I could I, not agree more. And, and, <laughs> and I think, fucking thing, actually, but. and, I think, you know, there's two things that could have happened there. Firstly, I think Mourinho, knowing that he was having that conversation, could have asked the cameras not to be there because I don't, you know, I don't think they had access to everywhere. Um, and I think, I think the club could have asked for it to be removed. Um, and Delhi does say later on that Mourinho apologized to him, I think a week later on the training ground. And, you know, the, and the cameras weren't, either the cameras weren't there when that happened or there's an editorial decision made not to include it. And, um, I think certainly in a lot of people's eyes and, you know, online, I've seen this quoted a lot in that, you know, he's to blame for his own loss of form. He's to blame for what's happened, you know, um, um, since, you know, since, since his peak. And I'm sure, you know, form is a, is a difficult thing. We, you know, it's not something that you can turn on and off. And, you know, I'm sure that there's, it's not just that 
incident that that caused this you know his form had dipped before then but it certainly didn't help and and for someone with you know everything that he's trying to deal with to be treated like that um i think was awful and i think you know i think the thing with Mourinho is that um he goads people i think he's a bully i think he goads people and 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 for for players who yeah, some players that will work for and they get on board and they do very well. But I think the thing with Mourinho is the players who don't respond to that, he discards. And, yeah, he nearly broke Luke Shaw with and repeated for, uh, abuse. Uh, 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 and for Delhi to be, you know, with everything we learned from this, that you know, that he, he was the worst possible manager at the worst possible time for, for, for Delhi. Um, and I think a lot of us saw it at the time, but maybe not quite as, as clearly as we do after seeing this documentary. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a reminder that we live life going forwards, but we understand it going backwards. Mm. And if you look at, well, so there's one, one, one thing just to take from his, his childhood, and I thought this was actually a positive that, that came out of the interview, was just the wonderful work that his foster family done. Mm. And, and, and indeed, I'm going to say all foster families, it's an incredible um, service that, that anyone who's fostering children gives. And that was really the only stability he had in his childhood was when he moved in with the foster family. And clearly he still holds them in, in, in huge affection from a, from, look, from a football perspective everything he did from the moment he broke into the first team at Milton Keynes to, to joining us turned to gold um, he had some in, incredible years mm. with us that you, you just thought he was going to be on you know the super trajectory um, and you, you can almost see that with what had happened in his life though that any happiness that he had it was only ever going to be artificial and short-lived and it wasn't going to be sustainable so it was a really bad combination of, of, of things so if, if I'm looking back I, I remember I was at the League Cup tie when we won at Arsenal in December 2018 and I was sitting in the way in and he scored the second goal which was the winning goal and he dinked the ball over Czech and you just mm. thought this is a world class player that we've got but but within three weeks of that he suffered that hamstring injury at Fulham that kept him out for a couple of months and that then triggered either directly or indirectly the team lost all their form and shape which then resulted in despite the Champions League final a change of manager you know, was a, and you know, Pochettino and his team because I think Delhi was really keen to point out it was all of his team it was Jesus Perez Perez, um, Mickey and, mm. and, and Tony as well, who were all there for him. But all of those things happening to him within the space of nine months on the field, you knew he was always going to be falling back on this trauma. And I think all of those things happening at the same time, you can really sort of pinpoint maybe that nine month period right at the start of, of 2019. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because in a football sense, look, of course he's responsible for his own form. I mean, uh, that, that, there's no doubt, but, you know, everyone is responsible for their actions. But you look to, to support someone who's in the middle, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent, all of that. To address what you just said, I think actually one of the things that really might have affected him, and I'm speculating, is when he was playing at the World Cup in 2018 and he actually adapted himself to play a role for Gareth Southgate to allow an extra attacking player on the pitch. And I think did a, a, a fine job in that role but got constantly, um, you know, poked at and criticised for a role that he wasn't playing because everyone was like, oh, it's Deli Alley. He just you know, he plays. What he was. No, he was playing a different role. Yeah, well, you, so, you, could, you could arguably say the same at Spurs. I mean, I think the Sun's emergence, yes. Sun's emergence actually meant that the, you know, the space for Delhi wasn't there anymore because it's Sun feeding off what, you know, Kane is producing and off Kane, yeah. whereas that's where Delhi was previously. So, yeah. you know, it's... And, and he's and he's an adaptable player. He's a very smart player. I actually thought defensively he always took up spaces rather than. I mean, he was very good at reading the game. I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. That's my personal opinion. Um, and I think that the whole Pochettino thing that we talked about. And this is where I have a problem with Jose. Um, and you know, when you walk into a football club 
and this is my opinion, you need to evaluate your staff, right? You need to know who needs what, who needs this, who needs that. You know, a blanket approach is going to kill a guy like, like Delhi, And that's essentially what I see has happened. He didn't take any duty of care over who he was talking to, to the point in the Amazon clip, he said, you know, I don't want to be your father. You don't need a father. You've got one. Well, yeah. now we can see in retrospect what <laughs> what a well, terrible, terrible choice of words but, that is. But we knew that at the time. Because of course we did. Delhi, Delhi had changed the name on the back of his shirt for that yes. fucking reason years before. So we should have all yeah. known that. Yes. I, mean, I, I well, think we did. Just, we, at this pod, I think, yeah. has known it for a long time. Well, I, 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 but Mourinho should have known that. I, I think one thing I would say, though, is that you know, post the interview, I've got nothing for respect, nothing but respect about the way that Everton have behaved. And they put yeah. out a statement basically saying that they're not going to say anything more about it. Denny's not going to give any more interviews, not going to say anything more. We're going to, yeah, we're going to take care of him and, and, uh, make it, make sure he get, gets better. I think, um, I mean, funny enough, you know, I was talking about kind of that, um, the, the similarities in, yeah, elements of Eric Dyer's upbringing. Of course, and, you know, and Eric's going to know Everton very well from his time there. And, you know, I think, you know, kind of these, we do these pods, don't we? And we, we, we don't know what we're going to talk about at the beginning of the week and things happen. And then you put them together and there's these kind of lines and crisscrosses that go yeah. through them. And, and suddenly there's a, you know, there's a, a kind of cohesive, or at least I hope there's a cohesive episode that comes together, but it's not through design. It's just there's, there's these threads that go through things. But I think, yeah, I think Everton is a, I was, I've been really, really impressed with the way that they've, they've handled themselves and they've handled this situation. Um, and I hope in Daesh they've got, Delhi's got a manager who can give him what some of our more recent managers haven't been able to do and he couldn't okay. find in Turkey and he can get that support that he needs. And I th- my feeling is that it's a family club. It's, um, you know, it's a good environment there and I hope he can get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the encouraging signs from the interview are that Delhi's done something which uh, is going to be of enormous benefit to him. Um, he has taken responsibility for what he can take responsibility for. He's choosing to do that. And he was very open also about the fact that prior to that, people had come to try and help him and he had shut them down. I think to be able to admit that is such a huge thing. It's such a painful thing to have to admit that, you know, when your mates Eric and, and Harry and that are coming and saying, what's going on? And when you're, you know, when he talked about his step family in tears saying, what can we do? And I just shut them out. I, I that that must have been so hard to admit publicly. And the fact he could do it, and the fact that he has taken ownership of what he can, I think it shows that he. I I, I feel positive that he will find his way through. And by God, I think we all hope that he's going to have the renaissance of all time. We're all rooting for mm. him, and we always have on this pod. What what a talent! What a player! And what a you know seems like a really really decent guy and and someone who's putting the work in that wow that's th- some work yeah we were talking last week about moments Steph weren't we we were sort of saying about yeah. what we you know what we want under Ange and I think um I think Delhi Delhi's never been a player who dominates games he never controls a game but what he does do is he's a moments player he gives you moments and he's given me some of the best moments of any player in a Spurs shirt over the last decade yeah and um he always come he's always come across as being completely genuine he's always come across you know i think at his best there's almost that kind of puppyish enthusiasm for the game that maybe Gascoigne had for instance i think there's a great similarity i think yeah and I mean, that was something that was kind of occurring to me you know different problems but yeah essentially I think, childhood issues that have manifested yeah. in a and, really and, sad but, way but 
almost football being a release and I think both of them actually are almost untrained players they're natural that you know they're not coached they're not you know a lot of modern players are very very similar very precise very measured and neither of those players were that they were just themselves and they expressed themselves and you I don't yeah. think you can you can train teach that and I also think it's probably quite hard for those players to recover it because they don't quite know what they had in the first place it was just them I think the joy of the game yeah yeah yeah, I so, mean, he always he just felt it was like he was in that Berber class, wasn't he? Him and Berber, these just the movements, the some of the magic they created. I, I, I I'm with you, and uh, I mean, we could probably spend another hour eulogising him. We have done often on this pod, if I remember. Um, but it did bring me back, you know, all of this it brought me back to me and Johnny at Leicester when he made his debut that August and he scored that diving head. Yeah, I was there as well. The, yeah, yeah, he got a picture of us celebrating it and we were just ecstatic. I remember looking and thinking, wow, maybe he really is going to be as good as they all say. And yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose uh, we could talk forever. So chaps, uh, any final words on, on this interview that you want to offer? I mean, I just encourage people to watch it if they haven't. Uh, you know, even if you've kind of, you know, read stories about it or what have you, I think um, I think it's worth listening to what delhi has got to say in his, in his own words. It, it's not, an easy watch or an easy listening, easy listen, no, I, but it's worth watching. I, I think I think tying into things we've mentioned already, it's really important to remember that footballers are human beings. If they're not playing well, it's not necessarily because they don't care or because they've lost their form or because they don't fit into a tactical approach. There may be a lot going on behind um, beneath the surface that we don't know about and we may never know about. And I think just, just have that in your mind before you come out and criticise a player's... Not, if they, if, they, if they can't pass a ball, they can't pass a ball. But if it feels like it's something beyond ability, then maybe just question there may be something going on that you don't know about. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And essentially, it's just saying be, maybe be a little kinder. As, as much as it might be hard to be kind when you're upset because something isn't going the way of your football club or a player that you're watching, a little more kindness. And if you think um, that that seems like a flippant comment, uh, you do need to watch this documentary. I mean, you need to watch it anyway. Um, following Delhi's interview, uh, lots of players have made supportive comments, uh, but one that stood out was from Aaron Lennon. So let's give the last word on this to Aaron. Milo, I'm going to ask you to read it because okay. it feels like it feels like a sort of a, almost Walter Cronkite type uh, type statement. And you have a Cronkitean voice, if you don't mind okay. me saying so, with an English accent. So take it away. Aaron said, after watching the Delhi interview, I hope people see that footballers are not robots. They're human beings who suffer from trauma, mental health issues and depression like everyone else. You don't have to use these big platforms to abuse people. I'm not saying you can't have your own opinion but maybe use it for more positive and helpful reasons. It doesn't take much to push someone over the edge who's not in a good place. Amazing, inspirational and very brave interview, Delhi. You stay good, brother. And for anyone else out there struggling, it's okay not to be okay or feel great all of the time. Seek help. Speak to someone about this. We'll really help. You're not alone. The light will shine again. Thanks, lads. That was actually quite emotional, but a good way to end it, I think, with Aaron there. Cheers, Steph. Uh, we will be back next week with a couple of Spurs games to talk about. Lo and behold, I won't be watching them live. I'll be watching them on Spurs play. That wasn't uh, that wasn't a sponsored plug. It's just the truth. <laughs> oh, you'd be watching um, the Spurs it, play even if you were watching them live. That's where they broadcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's absolutely right. Um, so it will be our first look at Ange Ball. Uh, and I, it says, look, it says the line in the script says, I can hardly contain my excitement. You know what? I am excited. 
I'm excited for the future that we have, and uh, I think I think you both are too, right? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to seeing. Yeah. You know, firstly, you know, it's not going to be the finished article, but I, you know, the first draft. I love I love a first draft, and this is going to be the first draft. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic. Job will discuss which, it, which, which, which let's season. face it. Which, let's face it, for you is outrageously uh, <laughs> right? I mean, let's face it, this well, is, yeah, you yeah, just I heard mean, Gareth yeah. display emotions of, of the positive sense, the likes of which I haven't heard in months. So uh, that makes me feel even better about it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next week.